Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome once again to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. I believe this is the 26th episode of the podcast. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret before we even get going. Uh, We recorded the 26th episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast uh, early in the morning on Friday, and your idiot host forgot to hit record. So we had a great 45-minute conversation with my buddy Mick Collagio from the Standard Times and Connor Ryan uh, from Boston.com that Never got recorded, and we'll never see the day, even though it was a great conversation. It was. Uh, I treasured it. I'll treasure it always. And and it's it's a, it's it's tough to. I feel I feel bad that Connor. We we'll be missing the Connor segment here, but I know. Great. But we'll we'll have him on again because it was a really fun conversation, and I hope we can work. Uh, you going with Pete Shepard to a Hartford Whalers Bruins playoff game together. Uh, the story you told earlier into this uh, episode as well. But before we get going, just I'm Joe Haggerty, your host. Uh, you can find my stuff at joehaggerty.substack.com. Please uh, subscribe to a premium subscription if you'd like. You'd get all of my content sent to you, both the stuff behind the paywall and the stuff that I send out there for free, which is quite a bit. But all of my Bruins coverage is going to be there. I also want to thank uh, our sponsors. First of all, FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, some great deals going on right now with the football season. Uh, you bet $5, you get $100 off uh, NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV as well as betting $5 and getting $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. So uh, just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and spend your money on the NFL season. That's what it's there for. Uh, Also, Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, ready in two minutes. Uh, Some delicious meals. We'll get into more of that later. But all right, let's get into the nitty-gritty here with uh, Mick Collagio. Uh, We talked about this earlier. Let's talk about it again. Um, Mark Recchi uh, inducted into the Philadelphia Flyers Hall of Fame. Uh, very well-deserving honor. I honestly thought he was already in there because he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I feel like he's there's been plenty of time to honor him by all the uh, teams that he's played for, but a, a great honor for a great guy who had a great run with the Boston Bruins. I don't know. Um, I can't think of too many guys who played for as many teams and made significant yes. impact with yes. as many teams. He was yes. a great Montreal Canadian. He was. Thank it. He, you know... I remember when we spoke earlier, you said, well, you know, when he got to the Bruins, he had to have changed his game by then and didn't score as much off the rush. And I'm thinking, yeah, you just reminded me of the backbreaker in game six against the Penguins in 91. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, he starts off uh, as as part of Pittsburgh's first Stanley Cup team and uh, ends as with the Bruins uh, as their Stanley Cup, with their Stanley Cup team. And, and uh their last Stanley Cup team. So yep. uh, nice first and last for Mark Recchi and glorious stuff in between, like you first alluded to crazy eights. Yeah. And, you know, it, we obviously know him well from his time with the Boston Bruins. Uh, you know, when he came over as a kind of an unheralded trade deadline acquisition from, I believe it was Tampa Bay, right? That they traded for him from. Martin's Carsons and yeah, that's uh, right. Matt Lashoff. Yes. Uh, to Tampa he was there Bay with... at the 09 deadline. He was there with Stamkos as he it, the last half of his career, he became kind of that older veteran guy that you placed with the young superstar to kind of show him the way. Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, Stamkos in Tampa Bay. He Eric was already Stalin, that in Carolina. Carolina when they won it. Yep. Eric I, mean, Stalin, and I, I neglected to mention them. Yep. And then uh, with the Bruins, obviously, like it, you talk to Milan Lucic, you talk to Brad Marchand, you talk to Patrice Bergeron, you talk to David Krejci, all those young guys. When he came in, he was the perfect veteran 
to add into the mix with that young core to really show them how to win, show them what it takes, uh, and really push them to a whole different level. His, he was almost always famous for saying, you got to get out of your comfort zone in the playoffs and kind of preaching that to all those players. And sometimes you have to do things that are not comfortable in order to win hockey games in the playoffs and, and push yourself to what needs to be done uh, for the team. And you saw all those players get to that place that he was talking about. And, you know, I credit a lot to him. I, I still remember, and we talked about this earlier that when they had those play, playoff series against the flyers in 2010, 2011, I remember Rex mixing it up with Chris Pronger in front of the uh, Philadelphia net, you know, a little Barney rubble, five foot nine, 200 pounds, whatever he was, uh, go taking wax from Chris Pronger in front of the Philly net. And that's what he became. in later on in his career, a guy that would stand in front, tip pucks, get rebounds and just show the way as far as being a tough forward that could score points that way, rather than off the rush, as you alluded to. Well, you know what? And by that time, Rex's stride, was pretty much like Barney Rubble driving. It was. It was back in, back in the day. I mean, he was pretty much like a bike that couldn't get out of first, and and uh, so he was churning and going as fast as he could. But the relocation part of it wasn't that impressive, and it made me wonder if he was viable uh, for the for what it would take. But in different ways, he showed that he is, and a lot of different ways. And you know, not. Not just by being an influence on other guys who could play the game, but playing the game for them. It was huge. Absolutely. Congratulations, Rex. Well-deserved and a great guy on top of being a Hall of Fame player. Um, next up, uh, the Boston Bruins Foundation Golf Tournament at Hillsides in Plymouth. Uh, that happened this week. That's usually the, the official kickoff of the Boston Bruins season. That's when everybody's in town. They go play golf. You see a lot of alumni there. It's always a fantastic event, as it was again this year. It was great to see Bobby Orr out there uh, mixing it up, which he's not always uh, at these events, uh, these golf tournaments, but he was there this year. Derek Sanderson was there. A lot of a lot of the old-time greats. It was awesome to see them. Uh, I remember Norman Levier was there a couple of years ago. It was great to see him as well. Um, but Jim Montgomery spoke uh, with the media at the event, and he did confirm uh, that there will be a captain named this season uh, for the Boston Bruins. This is a quote from him. Someone that is confident in who they are, someone that isn't afraid to put his arm around his teammate, also hold the teammate accountable, uh, and also not afraid to come into my office and hold me accountable to what he believes in and make sure I'm doing the right thing for this organization. He's the go-between between the players and the coaches, and he's got to be comfortable communicating with everyone and you guys in the media too, being able to be there every day for you guys to have a source as to the pulse of the team and who's the leader of our team. And, you know, I, I, it, it opens up the question and we've gone back and forth on this a little bit over the last you know month or so since Patrice Bergeron retired, but, you know, thinking about what Montgomery just said and sort of like peering into that and, and dissecting it a little bit, do you think that gives you any more of a clue as to who do you think uh, the captain is going to be when it's eventually named? I'm tempted to analyze that exact quote and look at the first letter of each sentence and see if the first one starts with B, the second <laughs> sentence starts with R, the third with A. And there you, you go. Keep going. Secret messages from Monty uh, when he talks to us. <laughs> you got me. I mean, I don't see how you could possibly put another face underneath that in the dictionary. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's Brad Marchand. I, there's obviously a lot of consideration for Charlie McAvoy, a lot of consideration for David Pasternak, and I think their time will come uh, as far as wearing the sea on this team. But like, I did think it was interesting that Montgomery alluded to speaking with the media, being the voice of the team every day through good times and bad. 
And, and I really think that is a job that Brad Marchand is primed for right now. That is something that uniquely he is in a position to be the best at that of any of the players on that team, win, lose, or draw. He's going to be accountable as he always is. Even after tough losses, he's going to come out and talk to us. And, you know, some of the other younger guys that might be in consideration for the captaincy, I still think there needs to be a little bit of sort of polish and experience when it comes to dealing with those tough losses and dealing with those up and down moments before he can be that sort of elder statesman that can keep the message and keep everybody on point, even after a difficult loss. You know, I, I think that's a very important part of this whole sort of captaincy along with, you know, being able to challenge teammates when they need it, being able to put an arm around a teammate when he needs support, you know, being able to uh, just worry about and have concern for all your teammates every single day to make sure everything's going okay. Uh, in addition to the being the liaison between the coach and the, the players and all that stuff. I just think Brad Marchand is that guy and he's far more um, far more suited for that in a big transition year like this, where they're going from the old guard, which he was definitely a part of to the newer guard, like the McAvoy's and, and Pasternak's and the young veterans that are going to take over this team. Yeah. It's their team now, but it's his team to watch over. And, and uh, that's great. Well we put Mick. And, and he, and he, uh, has already got matching experience. He has given Berge some nights off in these last few seasons and uh, you know, to give him a break, cut him some slack and he's very much stood in there and been that guy already without the letter. And uh, I, I, to me, it, it's just a matter of making it official. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a full disclosure here. Um, I was the first person. I wasn't the first person, but I was in the parking lot and spotted, spotted Bergeron. And two people who just walked past him toward the parking lot as the players were returning their gifts to their cars before they <laughs> found their way to the range or wherever they were going to go before they yeah. head out to their holes. And um, and I saw him and and I was like so stunned by him. I just like, you know, is that you? And he's like, it was pretty cool. And and, and so we had a quick chat and a second later, Brad Marchand shows up. And now these two guys, this was their first moment, I could tell. And um, and so I told them, I said, look, uh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. You guys have your chit-chat. And and uh, and as we were walking, they were sort of following me toward the clubhouse. And I turned around and I said, I just want to be the first. And Marshy had his golf bag slung over his shoulder. So I just reached to his golf bag and drew a C and they both laughed. <laughs> and so, That's awesome. And And, and you know, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's a, just a matter of making it official. Whatever day the Bruins are going to choose amidst their uh, their season is full of moments and yeah. full of acknowledgments and celebrations and and in concert with their centennial, um, they got to pick a day to do this, and it's got to be um, you know before the season starts. But real quick, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. Uh, get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off 
Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season with an offer you do not want to miss. You know, it's a great, great promotions every day. It's a safe and secure app. You get paid instantly when you win, which a lot of people do at FanDuel Sportsbook. So uh, give it a try. Go over and take a look if you haven't yet. Get going with your $200 in bonus bets guaranteed and have some fun with the football season coming up. Um, 21 plus and present in mass. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. NFL Sunday ticket offer ends N- uh, 9-18-23. No refunds. Terms and embargoes apply. $100 off Sunday NFL Sunday ticket, not YouTube TV. YouTube TV base plan is required to watch YouTube TV. Redemption requires a Google account and current form of payment. Commercial use excluded. Subscription renews. Cancel anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. And, it, you Maybe know, we media day. We saw, yeah, probably, yeah, that big media day right before the season starts because there have been a spate over the last week or so of a bunch of teams naming captains. And I wondered if they were going to get on the, you know, feel like some pressure to do that now rather than later because the Winnipeg Jets and uh, there was, I think, one or two other teams uh, that named their captains. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, they were another one. Uh, but I think they're going to wait. And I think media day makes sense or something closer to that. Maybe they'll pick a day that's like a nothing day and turn that into Brad Marsh and uh, is the new captain day. You know, that might be a good thing to do too, like take an off day and, and turn it into something like that where they can stay in the headlines. The, the, the pro teams like to do that these days. But like, the other thing about Brad Marsh and I think that needs to be mentioned is, you know, and, and I mentioned this earlier, it may affect him a little bit if he's the captain where he's not playing as emotionally as he normally is. And he doesn't have some of that dragging the Bruins into the fight attitude that he has where he's kind of the emotional, you know, um, lever for this team. And he's the guy that really, if they're kind of sleeping, will spark things up and, and get everybody into the fight and get everybody playing hard and get the attitude and the temperature rise <coughs> risen in the game and maybe wearing the C tempers that a little bit. And you wonder if that affects him as a player. That would be the only sort of downside I would see of watching to make sure it didn't affect his game, that he was taking on that responsibility, which is considerable. But I think he's the last remnant of the 2011 Stanley Cup team on that roster. Yes, Milan Lucic won the Cup in 11, but he's been gone since 2015. So Brad Marchand is the only lasting player that's seen everything from beginning to end from that time when they won the cup to right now. And I think that is extremely important as far as leadership goes. He's probably only going to be the captain for two years and then it'll be one of those other guys after that. But I think it's the right thing to do for the next couple of years for a team that's going to need that kind of leadership as so many other things are changing around them. Mm, and can, contiguous also starts with a C. Yes, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. We're fun with words we're having right now with yeah. Mick Collagio. Uh, Jake DeBrusque uh, spoke at the golf tournament as well. Um, he's entering the final year of his contract. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with him. Um, I, I think he's poised to have a really big year. He had his best NHL season last year, 27 goals, 50 points in only 64 games, basically put up a, a career season to date 
while missing a month with a broken leg uh, suffered in the winter classic where he heroically scored two goals in the third period to help them win that game. And I think that was like a, a little sort of, uh, you know, example of uh, the player that he's turned into playing through injuries, playing hurt, playing tougher, no long, no flybys on the four check. Now getting his body in, in there a little bit, in addition to the blazing speed, the hand eye, the great shot, like all the offensive skills that he brings to the table. He was more of a factor in all games. Like he wasn't nearly as invisible for stretches as he'd been in the past. So it makes you wonder what the price tag is going to be. I, Brandon Hagel signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, earlier in this offseason, eight years, six and a half million per season. I think, you know, DeBrusque is going to reach or surpass 30 goals, I think, this year. He's primed to do that in his free agent year. He's going to be looking at that, at least, I think, uh, moving forward. And it's going to be interesting to see if the Bruins are, are willing to go that far and, and how much they are going to tangle with him. But that leads into uh, DeBrusque's quote from yesterday. I'm approaching the contract year to just get ready for game one or the contract season. I'm, I'm, I should say getting my game ready. And I guess when it comes to contract talks, it's one of those things where you need two sides to tango. There it is. And if it happens, it happens, but it's one of those things where it's obviously not my main focus. It's going to be a big year for our team in general. And I know that if I'm doing my part and having success with production and certain things that will help our team, I think it goes hand in hand and it's one of those things that I'm just ready to get the season started. I'm excited for it. And it's just about staying healthy. It's the right attitude, but I thought it was really interesting that he said it takes two to tango, which kind of tells you the Bruins aren't tangoing right now. And there's not a lot of discussions going on in the contract and you read into whether that means anything, or if this maybe is something that gets broached, gets broached in training camp, but this is something I'm going to be watching closely because it's going to be interesting to see how this thing whole plays out. Just given his recent history with the team. Um. Yeah, and as much as the in as much as the team has put the trade request and the recovery from that right uh, behind them in terms of moving for, forward with this player and and keeping him at the core of the team and growing his game and and I think that this is the moment where we find that that's not forgotten because I think what we have here is the Bruins are not going to be cheap and hold it against him as a as a tactical tool to try to talk him down as much as they probably feel like hey first off we shouldn't be worried that this guy get going to be all po'd at us because we didn't extend him before the season right he's the one who asked out so we should at least make sure that we're exactly where we need to be and want to be before we're ready to present to him our best offer in order to get him to stay here a long time, which I have no doubt they want him to. They, if they didn't want this, if there was any wavering on them, how could you how could you keep that player with the state of his game two seasons ago? Yeah. And 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 go through that, overlook it, bring it back, forgive it, move on, and then his state of his game now not want to keep that player long term. I well, can't I imagine think, unless I think they unless. could do it. I think they could do it because he was cheaper then. You know what I mean? And he's and he's still four million dollars a year right now. He's still pretty affordable for the production, production, the talent that he has, all that stuff. Now we're starting to talk the next contract. He's going to be in the six, seven million dollar range, and that's when I think it starts to become 
can yeah. we pay this much for a winger that's going to be 34 at the end of the contract, like, et cetera. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think, think, yeah, I think they're ready. I think they're, I think they're ready to say, okay, you've proven to us that you're a guy that we can pay the way we've been paying Marshan Bergeron, Krejci and the center of all and pasta prior to this contract. Yep. Um, for those, for that chunk of years, you are now in that category and that's what we want to do with you. But if he said, yeah, but Pasta makes this now, 11 and a quarter, or McAvoy makes nine and a half, so I want this much, that's where it might get sticky. I agree. And and I think he's the type that, I think he likes being in Boston, and I would I would guess that he's going to have a reasonable contract demand. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like, if it gets, I'm sure there's going to be conversation between the two sides in training camp. But if it gets into the regular season, you know, there's some history with the Bruins, but yes, sometimes they sign players, you know, in that last year of the deal. But there is also times where all of a sudden it becomes radio silence. And that's when you know that the player is not sticking around and not part of the long range plans, a la Tory Krug. That was something that absolutely happened to him where they just forecasted that the money he was going to make on the market is something they didn't want to pay him and they weren't willing. They knew they couldn't compete with it. No, yeah. and they they just knew that they went didn't want to pay that for that player, you know, and they they, yeah. they were ready to move on afterwards. Maybe they thought Jack Ashan was going to be his replacement, which clearly did not work out the way they thought it was going to. Um, but it, it, you know th- that is a, definitely an mo for Don Sweeney when he doesn't he doesn't you know make a lot of illusions. I think he, players know if it's probably not going to happen once they get into the season. I, I think I think I think McAvoy was the guy who rendered Tory Krug obsolete. And that, that plans, yeah. as far as wanting to go big money for big, big money defense, make him your, your big money defenseman. They already uh, were blown away by how quickly Krug, uh, I mean, McAvoy adapted they, to the NHL game when he was an emergency recall in yeah. 17 against Ottawa. No, they were, but like, yeah, Charlie McAvoy has never stepped into Tory Krug's power play quarterback role, uh, the dynamic power play guy that he no, was. No, and, and that wasn't part he's of never, his game in he's college never been a, Right, but, the, the, you know, that. They're two different kinds of players. That's my point, I guess, is right. that, you know, I, I I feel like there were some things they thought they could replace uh, that Krug did well that they just did not replace. They never replaced. And, and they maybe committee-wise, committee, committee wise too, because Grizz yeah. is a left-handed shot who, right. who skates better than Krug and, and is terrific five-on-five puck mover. Right, right, exactly. And, and I think they tried Grizz a little bit at the beginning yeah. on the power play, too, which clearly didn't work as well. So, like you know... Bottom line is, uh, you know, the Bruins are Don Sweeney's pretty good about, I think, sending out signals to players of where they stand and what's going to happen. So we'll know, I think, during the season, whether there's strong indications that DeBrusque is going to come back um, if he's not signed by then or if, you know, they're not really talking and it's it doesn't look like it's going that way. And it'll be interesting uh, to see how it goes, because. Look, after this year, the Bruins salary cap headaches are, you know, pretty much over and they're going to have some money to spend. The cap is going to go up at least some. Uh, some people think it's going to go up a lot. Some people not as much, but it, it, it's going to go up more than it has the last couple of years. Um, so they're going to have money to spend and and they, they're going to be able to spend it on DeBrusque or somebody else. If it's somebody else they want to go after, you know, maybe in some ways they also want to see how he does. Like he had a great year last year, but he was with Bergeron and Marchand. How's he going to do if Charlie Coyle's his right. center for 82 games? You know, like, yeah. is he going to be able to drive the line and drive the offense with a different kind of center uh, right. playing alongside of him? And that in that way, he's going to be able to prove his worth. So I, all that stuff is going to be interesting. I think it's going to definitely bear watching. Um, okay, and that offense is going to be so critical, whereas last season there was so much run support that they yep. 
they they had a lot of close games, uh, but they didn't. But let's face it, they scored a lot of goals. Yeah. And this year, it's going to be a tougher sledding as far as that goes. Everybody knows it, and therefore, it's really more going to be more incumbent on guys like DeBrusque to uh, not so much hit numbers as create offense and yeah, make sure and- that the puck's going in for the team. Yes, and I think that's going to be important to watch. That's probably something else they want to see how he reacts to that and and how well he can do with that. Because to your point, and when we said this earlier on the podcast that shall never exist, uh, that uh, th- there was, um, I think there's going to be a lot of two to one, three to two games for the Boston Bruins this year. I think mm-hmm. the scoring is going to be down. I think it's going to be about goaltending and defense and having players like DeBrusque that can break games open with their offense or at least put goals up and, and create plays is going to be significant. So if he produces any, you know, plays under that sort of microscope and pressure, I think that's going to be a, a huge feather in his cap. Um, all right, let, let's move on to the last topic here. And uh, this is, you know, one that I, I think we've uh, talked about uh, over the last few weeks, at least privately, not publicly, because we weren't supposed to, the Bruins wanted a, uh, Wanted to cap on this uh, and and keep it hush hush until the list was released. Uh, the the historic 100 Boston Bruins uh, list was released uh, over the last week. Um, some awesome names on there. Obviously the Mount Rushmore names, the Espos, the Bobby Orr's, Cam Neely's, uh, Ray Bork's, Patrice Bergeron. They're all on there. Uh, some great old time names. A lot of you know recent names as well. I was going back and forth corresponding with Johnny Boychuk. He was very excited to be a part of this and was honored and said he couldn't believe he was with such an awesome group of players. There's a lot of guys like that that we know uh, personally that we covered that are on the list. It's great to see. Uh, But what I'm curious about is just the uh, omissions. And I I have one that was just stupid on my part, which was Ed Sanford. And I talked about that earlier. I I know his son, Mike, and his other son, Bernie, really well. And Mike is an off-ice official uh, at the guard. He's a head off-ice official, and he's going to kick your butt. And and, and I told him, I was like, I feel so bad because I was in a rush to finish it. And I think there were some old-time guys that I left off that deserved it, like Ed Sanford. And I felt really bad. And I would have felt extremely bad if he didn't make the list. And I told Mike, I was like, I would have let you and Bernie, like, just hold me down and beat the crap out of me if your dad make, didn't make the list because I forgot to put him on there. So I'm thank God he was on there. And Mike told me, you know, he's 94, 95 years old. And his reaction when he saw the letter was obviously appreciative, but like humbled to the point where he said, there's so many great players from my era uh, on the Bruins that deserve this more than me, which is not true. He definitely deserved it, but there are a lot of, you know, it, it, the fact that that was his reaction, such a hockey uh, reaction and, and reveals so much about him and his, his modesty and, you know, what a classy person he is. He's um, also, he's also a legacy player and he, he changed hockey. Um, he had a terrible Achilles injury that was fundamental along with one player, I think a Toronto player. And I, for some reason, I can't remember who it is. Uh, that both of them had Achilles injuries that from skate cuts that resulted in the redesign of the hockey skate to have the backside tongue. As, I didn't know as that. We know it. This was Eddie Sanford's injury. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a great nugget, Mick. Thank you for sharing that. Um, all right. It, so I'm going to ask you for some of your omissions or you you guys you thought uh, should have been on there, and this is can lead into. Uh, your uh, story about going with uh, Pete the Meat to the Hartford game because you mentioned <laughs> one player that you thought should have been on the list. That I wasn't. did, I did. So, Before go that, ahead, I got to I got to get through my own brain fart here. Yes. I can't let you take the the heat alone. I woke <laughs> up the next morning after the deadline and realized I never placed McAvoy. I was waiting to see where I should put him, 
I figured he's probably somewhere around where Oates and Janney and Barry Peterson, even though they're yeah. centermen and he's a defenseman. But to me, as far as how many years have you played, what kind of impact have you had, how good are you, how good could it get, you know, the whole the whole nine yards. And and I'm thinking somewhere he's going to be somewhere where those guys are. And and uh, and then I realized. And so I went back to see if I could get it in. It wouldn't let me do it. I was yeah. I was like I was like Livingston at the end of Office Space, where he's trying to <laughs> desperately trying to go go back to the uh, and, and reach in and get his confession paper. He couldn't he couldn't find it, you know. So um, it, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the guy, I, uh, two people that I was shocked not to see. One, one I really was surprised is Mel Sutton Death Hill still owns an NHL record for number of uh, goals in a playoff series, and. Uh, and so for him not to um, uh, overtime goals in a playoff series, I think it is at three. Yeah. And uh, which would yeah. explain the nickname sudden death. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so <laughs> how does this guy not in, you know? And so uh, that was a tough one to see. Um, I was a little disappointed that McQuaid didn't make it. I was too. Uh, and, I was and, definitely know, and, and not that I don't, not that I feel like, Oh, he should have been there. I didn't feel that way. I feel like a lot of guys that were deserving as he was. And, and I felt a little bad that he got left off of that. Um, one of the rare Bruins of that team that didn't make it. Um, yep. And uh, and it was funny to see, you know, and so I, you know, I always expected a certain amount of recency bias. And I, so I figured that made me feel good. Well, at least that way, McQuaid will get it. He didn't. <laughs> so, yep. but the one that you obviously, uh, the one you're teeing me up for is Dave Pullman. Um, I, yep. I always thought that he was far more beloved by the organization and by the fans than Kenny Lindsman, who made it. Yep. So, uh, but Dave Pullman did not. And so, um, yeah, my story is is that when Pete Shepard and I were working at WBLQ, the uh, fledgling FM down in Narragansett, Rhode Island, uh, Pete helped me get that job. Um, and uh, we worked together, and I suggested that we go to uh, game four of the Bruins-Whalers 1990 series. Where the Bruins are losing 2-1 in the series. They're down 2-1 in the series. They don't have Ray Bork because of a hip injury. And and uh, they're down 5-2 to two at the end of two periods. And the Whaler fans are in the concourse. Oh, I think we're going to play so-and-so. I think we'll win in five. I think we're <laughs> going to wind up lands. And I'm thinking, this is miserable. And I brought friends, my street hockey pals from Sharon. Um, and and uh, I thought that we were, you know, I was promising them that there's nothing like being a road team at a playoff game. You'll, you know, and 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 here they were in this. I dragged them into a situation that was one of the worst. And, you know, and the Bruins had finished first overall. So this was just, just horrible. So the third period comes around. And uh, I'm up in the cheap seats with the Bruins fans behind Moog and uh, way up in the balcony. And um, and before the ice is even scraped up, Dave Poulin scores. Oh, nice to see. Nice to see. We got a pulse here. Okay. So we're not <laughs> going to go quietly. Next thing you know, Bob Beers is the late man coming in. Uh, they were making jokes about him earlier in the game because his number as a rookie was 43. He didn't wear his legacy 22 number yet. Uh, he was wearing 43 and goes, oh, 43 beers. And uh, so, <laughs> so beers comes in and he scores. Now it's five to four. Well, the pier is not even half over cross ice pass to the right circle. Dave Christian one time, bam, game is tied. The place goes nuts. The Bruins fans are now louder in their minority than the Whaler fans ever were in their majority. <laughs> and, and it was just, and the poor Whaler fans, was they were so civilized. They're looking back at us like, like, uh, like, like who are these Neanderthals and and we're we're just I mean you know the the saliva is flying beers are spilling and everybody's going absolutely crazy and um and and then um uh you know you go through that next ten minutes of the third period and it's just so suspenseful and the whalers were really good 
and they were a deep, deep team, and they kept on coming and kept on pressuring and getting the puck out in front of Moog and big scrambles in front, and it was a tough rest of the way, and and then finally at the end, Dave Poulin scores <laughs> right before the game ends, and, and, and he scores to win it, and uh, the concourse, here we go, Bruins, and it just was, un, it was an unbelievable night. But it speaks how good Poulin was in the play. He was a playoff player. He made a, he was an impactful player for them when they got him from Philly. Oh yeah. 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 And I was, I didn't know if he had that much left, you know, um, you know, at that point in his career, you know, I felt like the sweet spot was obviously the flyers in the, in the mid eighties. And, uh, but, but Poulin played hard. And I think that, you know, that, you know, resulted in an injury prone kind of career, not that he had brittle bones, but that he just, you know, he took a beat in order to play the game he wanted to play. He played right right through the game against bigger players. Uh, and, and and he played a two-way game, a very Bergeron-like. You know, I mean, that was his his M.O. was to be a tough out. You know, like, you may be more famous than me. You may skate faster than me. You may be bigger than me. You may shoot the puck harder. But but I'm going to I'm going to give you a real hard time. And, and that was that was his game. And and uh, and the Bruins, he was a great second line center to Craig Janney in, in that uh, 1990 uh, run to the final. That's uh, I love that description, because that reminds me of like when I watch my son play, how he plays. That's exactly how he plays. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. He's just a tough out all the time, even at 10 years old. And it's it's really fun to watch. But like Poulin's a great guy, uh, a great player. Like he does a great job now for TSN. And, uh, you know, he's a broadcaster up in Canada. You see him all over the place. Um, I had a few names. McQuaid was definitely one of them I saw. And I was like, ah, I, you know, I voted for him using my 100 and I kind of hoped he would be in there. Uh, Randy Burridge, Stump, uh, you know, I I voted. Dump, Stump, and Bump. Dump, yep. Bump, and Stump. <laughs> I had him in there as well. Didn't he score a goal off his eye? I think he did. I think he did. And, I, you know, I even had Jay Miller because, like, he's a legendary Bruin. You know, it was about the legends, and well, he was a legendary tough guy uh, for they, those They Bruins left it up to our interpretation. Yes, 100%. And, 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 and so for some people that meant, synonymous with whatever label you want to put to it, it was going to be greatest of all time. Right. I think that that's a tough thing to do all the way down the line because they very clearly left it in our hands so that we could uh, nominate legacy players. Yeah. And, and to that point, like the one that I looked back on and regretted after the fact when like it came out and people on social media were like sending messages was Norman Levier. And, uh, you know, thinking back on it now, a legacy player, big time, you know, a, a, a story that everybody knows uh, in Boston Bruins history, obviously a tragic story with the aneurysm that struck him in Vancouver and wiped out, which was I, I forgot how young he was when that happened and how good he was, that he was a first round pick. He would had a brilliant rookie year. He was poised to really become a star on that team with Ray Bork and all the other guys in the early 80s. And then he struck down uh, with that aneurysm. Yeah. And, you know, it was one of the obviously iconic moments in Bruins history was him. Uh, skating on the garden ice when they closed it out with Ray Bork mm, yeah. uh, so many that, years later. And, you know, was thinking, the moment. it was, and thinking about all that stuff, I was like, Oh, you know what? He should have been on there just because he's such an important part of Bruins history and their legacy and, and everything. And I kind of regretted not voting for him for that reason as well. Yeah. I, I, I started with him somewhere near the middle and I think I had him closer to the bottom when it ended uh, because I found myself going from the legacy interpretation to the, to the uh, to sparing that for very few players and and I can't remember even whether he wound up in my hundred or not, but he was very close to it and 
Uh, he was in my working group. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he might he might be he very well have been on my list. I'm not sure. I'd have to check it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's any hey, if if this was going to be easy, then it would would have been easy. And everybody's got an opinion, and and they left it up to the complete interpretation on our hand, whatever most legendary meant. Uh, yep. I think one thing that really will stick with me always about the Painters Cap Bruins of Kluzak's rookie year. Uh, and in Milbury getting injured, O'Reilly getting injured, obviously what happened with Norman Olivier and how the Bruins didn't have all their horses when they went against the Islanders in the semifinals and still got them to six games. And uh, they were right there. And now imagine what, what you know, they were first overall in the league, 50, 20, and 10. And Ray Bork didn't hit the crossbar in the final game at Montreal, then they would have uh, been 51. Uh, yeah, well, they would have been, you know, we know. Overtime didn't come till the next year, but anyway, the <laughs> bottom line is they wound up losing that twentieth game because of because that puck went did not go in off the bar. But uh, they that team what always blew me away about that is I felt like they were so close. I remember the festive atmosphere in the Garden the following fall when the Bruins played a, a, a preseason game against the Islanders. Now Brad Park is off to Detroit, so now it's the young players' team. It was very yep. similar to what's going on right now. And yep. thinking, okay, this team's going to march, and they're going to go forward now and win this thing. Kluzak was now in his second year. O'Connell had had a heck of a year. Uh, people don't talk about him. He made it, by the way. <laughs> and and, uh, and there is uh, just uh, uh, such a great team so deep at center. Peter McNabb's the old man now. And you've got these generational players like Barry Peterson, if Tom Fergus, who's a 30-goal scorer. Yep. You got, man, we're going to put Steve Casper's your shutdown guy. Where are you putting Peter McNabb, who's a great player? So so you have all of this talent there, and you got this uh, – and Cashman uh, has just retired. So now it's really the young guy's team. You know, Park's gone, Cashman's gone. And what blows me away is that through that bad playoff against Montreal that year and the way the whole division flip-flopped, and within one season, Montreal was the power team and the Bruins were struggling. And they were making the playoffs barely. And uh, when you get to 88 and they get to the Stanley Cup final, who's on that team from that 82-83 team? Ray Bork. Yep. Rick Middleton, who's in his final season. Yep. Um, Kluzak, his only, his only veteran season as a healthy player. Yep. Age 24, mind you. Uh, Steve Casper, who's in his Casper last full, last full yep. season as a Bruin. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of who the other one might be. <laughs> this is, I mean, there really wasn't much left of that. Yeah. It's amazing. You took a team that was first overall and went six with the Dynastic Islanders five years later in the Stanley Cup final, and that's all that was left of that team, how much it changed. how much. I, that's a conversation I'd love to have with Harry Sinden. Absolutely. And, and it'll be interesting to see how much of that happens now with this team as it's getting handed off from Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. How different they're going to look uh, five years from now, dependent on how all these players play when they're given, you know, the reins. And it's like, here you go. Let's right. see what you can do. So that, that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, Mick, thank you very much for doing the redux of uh, the Pucks with Hags episode. I think this went just as well as the first one, even though I think we really miss Connor My uh, Ryan's contributions. Uh, we'll definitely have him next time. But thank you very much for coming. Uh, and do this again. Happy birthday, by the way, to you. I hope oh, thanks. You I am Jakob Zaboro. <laughs> In years. In years. I hope you have. Yeah, they, they, uh, nice. I'm going to think about that later uh, to try to remember who I am. Who's number uh, 49 <laughs> on the Bruins? Has there been a notable 49? I don't think there has been. Joe, as you know. Oh, there you go. All right. I'm the Joe, as you know, right now. Uh, Mick, thank you very much. Uh, let's thank our sponsors real quick. Um, 
FanDuel Sportsbook right now. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Uh, the NFL season's in full swing. The Patriots just barely lost to the Eagles last weekend, hoping for a better fate this uh, week, but it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So visit FanDuel.com Boston right now. And there's also America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, Factor Meals. We love them. Uh, go to them right now. Uh, use HAGS50 as your code and get 50% off your first meal. Uh, Mick, thank you very much for joining us. And everybody else there, out there, thank you for listening. We'll see you at the rim.